like this one, by the way. This one's good. The vocal drop there throws in. The world is yours. Mine, it's mine, it's mine. Whose world is this? Everyone but Jamie's. What's up? I was right. <laughs> I was right. No, this isn't even the Nas track, though. No, it's not. It's just funny. <laughs> uh, that's got to have been like the lengthiest, like fake feud, fake argument over over like rights-free music over in the history of, in the history of radio. Like, yeah. What's the least significant thing that you can argue about on the radio? Let's see if we can find it. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of that one. <laughs> we can, Jamie? And we will. <laughs> and we will. Just, just, <laughs> just wait until the summer. <laughs> we will get to the bottom of that one. Okay, hold on. Uh, in, the, uh, in the corrections and omissions department, BXO was traded in 2015. Oh, okay. Uh, my bad. So my bad. I, I mean, my head, because I knew it was... Kessler and Bieksa in uh, sequential years. Right. But I put, in my head, I put Bieksa 2013 so, and Kessler 2014, so, but it was Kessler 2014, Bieksa 2015. Bieksa 2013 14's the Tortorella year. Yeah. Uh, Ham Hughes, so then the Tortorella, if the Tortorella year is inclusive, I think Ham Hughes is in the list as well. Yes. Bieksa too. But next year, they will both be off of the list. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hamius was here. No, I know. Fifteen, sixteen. The, but the, the sure, Schwartz year was sure, the sure, last sure. year where he had like top pair impact in Vancouver. Because sure. remember they put that was when um, Torts was the first guy to elevate Tanev. It was Hamius Tanev, right? And they like killed it. Like that pair was awesome. Yeah. And then and then the next year too, you get to that fourteen fifteen season where Bieksa gets turned into sawdust by Michael Furlan That's in the right. playoffs. Yeah. And at that point, like the Bieksa Spiza years, I don't think you'd put Bieksa over no. there. But for for the Torts year, you still would. Uh Hamus was so great, man. What a great player. Anyways, just wanted to get that in there. That was Prime? He was awesome. No, he was phenomenal player. He, he was the he's the unsung hero of the twenty eleven run. Uh, okay, we do it every day, typically in the first segment, but it gets bumped for the crossover on Wednesdays. It's our new segment. It is the whiteboard. It is your daily. All right, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? My bad. My bad. It's your You'll get look. It's the it. third time we've done it. Whatever. It's your daily deep dive into what's Not up your first day, with the Canucks. Yeah, whatever. For today, uh, November 29th, and we will start with the headlines, starting with the Canucks eking out a win, I'm going to say, over the Anaheim Ducks. 3-1 last night, uh, thanks to, uh, I, I'm going to say, controlling the third period after two meh periods before that. But they beat the Ducks 3-1 in their return to home ice. Yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't a clear victory. Uh, they didn't play very well for most of the night. They played very well for about 10 minutes in the third period. That was sufficient uh, to beat the Ducks, but just not an unins- just not a very inspiring no. win, you know? And, and that's been sort of the theme of the last three weeks for this team, but they've kept picking up points. They've kept pace at the top of the Pacific. Um, they're certainly outpacing, you know, even the teams that seem to be turning the corner in Alberta. Pathetic. And uh, and so no, I'm kidding. I just just funny. Um, so yeah, I mean, whatever. You, you gift horse. We've 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 examined the mouth of the gift yeah. horse enough. They won. In terms of other headlines from the game, I think it bears mentioning. Like Besser scoring twice, leading the NHL now yeah. with 17 well, we'll, goals. We'll and right after we did the uh, or you did the like, how does he get to 40 calculation? And then you know he gets the one from in front of the net, and then he gets the empty netter. Well, and, and I was focused on the empty netters. Yeah. For a reason, right? Like, those are completely random. Completely random. 
but unless you're getting tips from Louis Erickson. Well, and and he <laughs> Which might is going to be now. I yeah. mean, he thought he definitely didn't think it was a bad idea. You know, like I would admit if a joke fell flat in a yeah. scrum, but like Besser was like, yeah, yeah, I should text him. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. It was really good, especially because I was like, should I do this? Should I try this right now? Anyway, um, we'll get to that, too, in the betting odds. So uh, the Beauvillier trade. Mm -hmm. I just want to focus a little bit. Like, it reminds me a little bit of the Nate Schmidt trade where it feels like it's, you know, now the return for Bo Horvat. It's Bo Horvat in a second for Hironic, Ratu. And, and a, a fifth-round fifth pick. And it's it's just not like that because the team held Beauvillier for nine months, and, and that was actually kind of costly, right? I mean, when you put Beauvillier coming back in the Horvat deal. Now, you probably had to take some money back to facilitate That's the Horvat That's the big deal. question. Well, for sure. Yeah. But it's – and it would be one thing if the Horvat market was one team. But it wasn't, mm-hmm. right? The day they took that non-expiring – like, we came on the radio – and did an emergency podcast mm-hmm. that day. And the Beauvillier inclusion, the non-expiring money they took back, was one thing I was saying, hey, that, you know, that's a real negative aspect of this trade. I called him a cap dump. I, I got made fun of for a few weeks when Beauvillier came in and had, what, 10 points in his first yep. 12 games with the Canucks. Not bad for a cap dump, people told me. Um, but when you combine the Kuzmenko 5.5, the Beauvillier 4.15, and then the Hronik deal, right? The Canucks added 12 to 13 million in salary between New Year's Day and the deadline and that necessitated you know a variety of tough decisions over the course of the summer most notably the Oliver Ekman Larson buyout. Now, the Ekman Larson buyout probably had to happen, but it definitely had to happen once they made those series of moves. Mm-hmm. And so you get to a point where it's like what's Oliver Ekman Larson done this year? Well, he's been a he's top 4 well. caliber defenseman for a really good team. Now, I think it's a fair question does it happen here? Oh, totally fair question. Right, because you've talked about how Florida can sub guys in pretty well. Like, they have a history 100%. of doing that, you know? 100%. Although, it looks like under Tockett, Vancouver is kind of capable of doing that, especially on the back end, too. Um, the thing that I'd sort of note, though, is, like, the Canucks, for example, spend $6.5 million in free agency, bringing in a couple of lefty defensemen, right? Cole, Susie. I like how both guys have played. I liked both guys in the summer before they signed in Vancouver. I liked both deals when they were signed. What's the difference between Cole, Susie, and Oliver ekman Larson in terms of what they've contributed this year? Not much. Not much. Yeah. What's the difference in their salaries? Well, now, not much. No, no. But between what ekman Larson's salary would have been without the buyout mm-hmm. and what Cole or Susie are individually. Yeah, the difference four, is Anthony Pavilion. Four million, yeah. Well... In three years, we're going to be talking about this team needing to navigate around the ekman Larson buyout. Uh, like, that's part of what I mean when I'm talking about opportunity costs. You lock up $4.15 million in space for a player that the Canucks attached positive value for. Like, Alvin wouldn't have described him as being equivalent to a first-round pick, and he wouldn't have said what he said today, which was, I still really like him as a person and player. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, Alvin's not... I don't think fibbing to us. I think he genuinely thought Beauvillier would work out. It didn't. And there was real opportunity cost from that. That opportunity cost is obviously amped up by the ekman Larson buyout, which became an inevitability because of how this team allocated cap space. But I'd add this. The opportunity cost is also significant because what's one thing this front office unquestionably has shown an ability to consistently do? Find value. Yeah. Like, find value. The, you know, Alvin and Rutherford and their analytics department and their pro scouting department with $4.15 million extra to spend 
on the open market, I mean, maybe that's an extra right-handed defenseman. Well, I mean, you just look at the returns from their free agency class so far, right? Yeah, this it's been year, awesome. Right? And then even you throw Sam Lafferty, that deal in, and how he's played. And sure. For me, it's like, I don't think anything, I don't want to say anything, but I think even if you didn't have that $4 million, you're still probably buying out OEL. But then you're just using well, that Well, then extra. you have 4.515 more. That's exactly I, it, right? That's what I would have, I think that's for me is where it it gets interesting is not avoiding the OEL buyout, but what could you have done this summer with the extra $4 million in cap space? Credit to them from for the escape, right? Credit to them for the opportunism showed, right? It's a good deal and a sensible deal with where this team's positioned right now, but I don't think it's as clean as just being like, that's a win, dust your hands off. It was a fix to an error that was part of a larger set of, of sort of cap allocation decisions that had real costs, mm-hmm. even though those costs aren't things that people are upset about right now since the team's just winning. Okay, the other headline I think that really bears mentioning from last night before we get into the rumor mill, uh, I think and we mentioned it with Donnie and Dolly, but Tockett saying Kuzmenko just okay in yep. his return to the lineup. And to me, if you didn't already realize after two consecutive scratches in Seattle and San Jose – I think it's very clear this is not a storyline that's going away, right? Like, this is something we're going to be talking about. Where does Kuzmenko fit in the lineup? What? How does Tockett view his game? What kind of minutes is he getting? Is he playing on the power play? All of those things. This is going to be a big focus. And we'll see where it goes. You know, I know Rick was saying, like, hey, this could go south. You look who his agent is. We're not there yet. But I think it's very clear this was not a blip. This was not a one-game, okay, message sent, and we're moving on. There's a real issue here, and I think we're going to have to keep monitoring this one as it, as well, it continues. And and part of the issue is if he's not a first-choice guy on PP1, um, his ceiling is not 30-goal guy, right? Like, that fundamentally alters what we can expect from Kuzmenko opportunity-wise. So, yeah, that's headlines. Let's jump to the broadsheet. Yeah, the rumors. Yeah, there's there's well, a bunch now in the, in wake, the wake of, of the Bavilion. Well, because everyone's now focused on what can the Canucks do with $4.15 million in newfound cap space. Now, of course, it's not quite that simple. I mean, one thing to note is, like, when this season began, right, before Carson Soucy was added to LTI, like, the Canucks didn't have the cap space to play Cole McWard. Mm-hmm. Cole McWard makes his debut last night in part because the club – didn't have enough flex to play a guy who costs an extra 150k over Akito Hirose in those first two games of the year. Like McWard had clearly won that job at training camp. There was no question about it, except for the cap math. So it's not that the Canucks necessarily have like 4.15 in newfound cap space, or if you go and pool, you know, their LTI pool with Susie on LTI with the Beauvillier money. I think Cap uh, Friendly will spit out something like five and a half million at the moment, but it's not. As simple as that, no. because at some point, Susie's going to have to come back. You'll have to Hansel and Gretel your way back, follow the breadcrumbs back to, to square level. Uh, so, nonetheless, Canucks now have some flexibility to buy. Zadorov is the big piece being rumored. Kevin Weeks of NHL Network adding to the chorus. Rick Dollywall's been banging this drum for a while. Uh, skepticism remains about whether Calgary will deal with Vancouver, especially now that they're trending decently well the past like week. Um Dollywall's also reporting that the club won't trade their first round pick. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty notable. Oh, very much so. You know, I, I'm going to be really interested to see how tempted they get 
Well, should should this team especially sort of regain that late October, early November form over the next month? And now, to be fair, not on our show, but I believe on the uh, on Donnie and Dolly proper earlier today, even Rick said, you know, well, look, if there's a mega deal or something, like if if, sure, if, yeah, if, yeah. if all of a sudden this incredible impact piece comes available, like of course they're going to at least think about it. And at I think that's tires. That's important context, right? It, like you always got to be ready to to go if something like that that where it makes sense comes around it's impossible to imagine that they won't at least discuss it as in the lead up to the deadline yeah. should this team continue to trend that's the thing well. if you do if you do get back to that form through you know the next what six weeks eight weeks something like that and you're sitting here in january and we know rutherford likes to be aggressive ahead of the market like i actually don't Price. as much as people are saying like oh i'm breathing a sigh of relief they're not going to trade their first round pick i don't think it's unrealistic that you could be in a position where it would make sense to trade your first round pick. Like, I agree right now, they shouldn't be out there saying, you know, they shouldn't be out there like, hey, we're shopping it. We want to move it. Like, it's good to see the caution right now, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that a deal where it makes sense to to move that pick becomes available, yeah. right? Like, I think that's, we should be open to that possibility. Absolutely. Later on in the year. Let's, um, let's move on to the lineup. Yes, let's do it. So lineup update, because uh, they did practice today out at out at UBC. So uh, and some interesting roster moves as well. Uh, Akita Hirose sent down, which not a big surprise, right? Yeah, he saw, only got into the one game. I saw him leaving the rink with his Abbotsford hockey bag on uh, when we were done the show yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so Akita Hirose gets sent down. He only got the one game after getting called up, you know. Juleson was in over him, Friedman in over him, then Cole McWard in over him. You kind of saw the writing on the wall, and I think it makes sense if he's not going to play at the NHL level. You know, as you were saying yesterday on the show, he's older than most prospects are. He needs to be getting reps. You can't have this be, hey, he's sitting in the press box for months at a time. And he needs to be dominant after Christmas in the American League, right? Like, the the road here is not long for Akito Hirose to get going. Yeah, so Akito Hirose goes down now with him going down, plus the Beauvillier trade, two open roster spots for the Canucks. Uh, Linus Carlson comes up, and Matt Irwin, which I think is really interesting because Matt Irwin, of course, veteran defender, signed before the season to a one-year deal, never really made an impact at training camp or the preseason. Like, didn't I, you know, going going into preseason, I would have picked him to be the seventh defenseman just because he had that veteran reliability and he never really entered into that conversation. Now he's up with the team. We'll see. Like, the one thing about it is that's been consistent is the coaching staff clearly looking for solutions on the back end, willing to try things, right? Whether it's Hiroshi, McWard, you know, four righties, whatever it is, they're willing to try things right now with Carson Soucy out. So we'll see if Erwin gets a shot yeah. at some point. Uh, which probably hints at some organizational urgency to find an answer on the back end with that $4.15 million in space. A couple other lineup notes that I thought were interesting. Mikheyev at practice, uh, x-rays were negative after he got hit uh, in the left leg by, by a pretty hard Tyler Myers shot last mm-hmm. night. Um, was a scary moment when he couldn't get himself off the ice, but luckily it looks like he avoided anything significant. Um, so thank goodness, Mikheyev's been playing really well. You'd hate to see him uh, injure, especially the same leg that he had operated on last year. Should also mention um, Ian Cole, Tyler Myers, absent from practice today, but just for maintenance days per well, per Rick Tockett. Yeah, and I mean Cole was um, looked fine after the game. We 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 had an exchange after the game. Um, he got decked. Like, three times. Like, there were three hits thrown on Ian Cole, all of which had me be like, ooh. Not, like, with concern, but that reaction you naturally have, mm. like, when a running back gets When a guy gets crunched. Yeah. yeah. Like, he got crunched 
three times, so I'm not surprised to see him take a maintenance day. I also don't think there's anything concerning there. By the way, after one of those hits, um, he made like such a sick bank pass to to exit the zone with the Canucks under like a little bit of duress, and I was really impressed by that, that he took that level of punishment and then still was able to make a, a real, like not just a good play, but like a really difficult heads-up play perfectly like that's Cole's that's awesome. Cole. Yeah. Cole's awesome, Cole's awesome. Um, no change to the forward group after uh, uh, obviously with Beauvillier out Carlson comes up but no change to the forward and the most group. notable thing there being that Kuzmenko retains his spot on yep. the top line despite being just okay okay playoff forecast now this one is interesting today because of course the Canucks win yesterday but uh, per Dom's model which we're using to track these playoff odds the playoff odds actually drop slightly very very slightly from 94% to 93% and what you see when you look at what the rest of the teams in the league are doing of course the Oilers beat Vegas in a shootout last night so they're on a bit of a roll here their odds are starting to spike now the Flames didn't play yesterday but if you look at you know he does the track where you can see how how the odds have uh, fluctuated over the course of the season the Flames odds are shooting up in a big way right now uh Flame and uh, and the Predators odds are shooting up in yeah. a big way right now so all of a sudden the extreme softness of the Western Conference, which we talked about a lot, where it's just like, man, who's even chasing these guys? You're starting to see some teams not breathing down the neck of the Canucks, but at least put themselves in a position to surge, right? Like Calgary up to a 46% chance per Dom, uh, Nashville up to a 51% chance, right? So like salvaging their seasons a little bit. Well, and, and Calgary blowing a huge opportunity in Chicago. Um, so that's it for the playoff forecast. Well, I will say the two yeah. things I want to say here is one, it goes to show you how important it is to take care of teams like the Ducks, yep. right? Like you, with other for teams sure. actually playing well, you can't miss those opportunities. You have they needed it just to stay where they are in totally. terms of the playoff odds last well, night. And if they'd lost, they would have lost what uh, four of their last six. Yeah. So right. you got to take advantage of those opportunities, which even if it wasn't inspiring, they did. Plus, big game on Saturday against the Flames. Yeah. Right? With the Flames Quietly. getting off the mat. Big, big game, similar to the Seattle game, right? Don't let them breathe any more life into yeah. their season. Yeah, keep keep your foot on the top of their head as they're in the water or something. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I was going to say keep your foot on their neck, but I was like, eh, it's that, a little no, graphic. No, let's not do that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but that's it for the playoff odds after that point. All right, betting odds. So first of all, no price on this at any book, but I've followed the Vancouver Canucks long enough to know that Anthony Beauvillier finding immediate chemistry with Jason Dickinson and them forming like a really potent middle six line is a lock. Stone cold lock. <laughs> so I wanted to highlight this, which we haven't actually talked about yet in betting odds. Plus 2,200 Stanley Cup odds for the Vancouver Canucks. That's the 13th best odds in the league, and they're on sort of their own island. After Tampa Bay, who are plus 2,000, but ahead of Winnipeg at plus 2,800 and ahead of Pittsburgh at plus 3,300. I just thought that was like an interesting snapshot of sort of their their spot in the pecking order, uh, you know, trending toward the like actually good fringe contender, you know, 7 to 12 range. So that's just, an interesting group of teams to be around. Like a so? lot of like different teams that's in there what I thought. with different pedigrees and all of those things totally. going on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean Pittsburgh at plus 3300 actually is interesting to me. Like Yeah, I can see that. You know, anyway. Um 96.5 is still their over under, although you now have to now you get plus money on the under. So more action on the uh, on the over as there should be 96.5 is too low by mm -hmm. like 7 points. Um to win their division, their odds are now plus 500, down from plus 600 as, as recently as Monday. So I'm guessing that's just Vegas dropped 
the the point in Edmonton. Pedersen, by the way, is is at plus one thousand. He's dropped a little bit. He's down to the sixth highest odds for the Hart Trophy. Uh, Kucherov has separated himself yes. from number forty over the course of this week. Um, talk it holding strong at plus five hundred. The Adams front runner, but some steam on Peter Laviolette, who has j- jumped up from the chase pack and is now second at plus seven hundred fifty. There's real steam on that, by the way. Rangers are playing really good hockey, yep. and he's in the spotlight. Spotlight, American-born. He's got some natural advantages over Tockett. That's going to be an interesting race to watch here. Uh, Hughes holding steady, but Kale McCarr is up to plus 200. So he's closing ground, even though Hughes' odds are unchanged. Here's a new one. Brock Besser, plus 2,500 to win the Rocket Richard. Of course, he's the current NHL scoring leader. He's got the eighth best odds. And listen to this group of players that Besser trails in terms of the betting odds to be the NHL goals leader this sure. season. Matthews, okay. Pasternak, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kucherov, Kyle Connor, Miko Rantanen. Brock Besser. Good players. Pretty good players. Woo-hoo-hoo! How's that for some company? My goodness. It's like he's like... He's like guest playing the triangle with the Beatles or something. Like, oh, my God. Um, Well-deserved. Well-deserved. Good for Brock Besser having a tremendous bounce-back season, and that's now being reflected in the Rocket Richard odds. Finally, we haven't brought this one up yet this week either, but Demko is the Vezina frontrunner, and over the course of just this week, because I guess he beat Anaheim, has dropped from plus 700 to plus 500. Wow. Jake Ottinger nipping at his heels at plus 600. Shesterkin at plus 600. So Canucks with the betting favorite for the Jack Adams, betting favorite for the Vesna, betting favorite for the Norris, six in Hart, eighth in Rocket Richard. All different guys. What a dream. That's <laughs> that's like this this needs like the Wayne's world, like And by the way, none of those players are their actual leading scorer, which is JT Miller. That's a whole separate guy. JT Miller is like the Rodney Dangerfield of this Canucks core, right? Like, you just can't get any respect. <laughs> there was uh, there was a stat last night. By the way, that'll wrap up the whiteboard, but we do have just uh, just a second here. But there was a, spat, uh, a stat last night from Sportsnet Stats. JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser. First quartet in NHL history where each teammate, NHL history, collected 25 points through the season's first 23 games. Like, think about that. Gretzky... Messier, Coffee, and you know, pick your fourth. Yari Curry. Yari, Yari Curry didn't Glenn do Anderson. it. Right? Like go down the list of incredibly stacked offensive teams. No one did that except JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson, and Brock Besser. It, it, that blew my mind. It is it is amazing, but what do they all have in common? What? All have ten power play points or more. Yeah, because the power play's killing it. Cooking. Crushing it. Power play one, man. The the Canucks power play remains an atom bomb. Did they get a chance last night? They did, I believe. But Right. Yeah. Anyway, they're really good. They're very, very good. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Some scintillating analysis to end the show. We're back tomorrow. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.